Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, May 31st. 2019, the last Friday of May, and on this report I will be talking about what I call insanity, because it makes no sense to me. It should make no sense to anyone, but to those whose brains are wired to a certain end, I suppose, that ripping apart the fabric of civilization in the pursuit of raw political power makes some degree of sense. May is the 50th anniversary of the battle for Hamburger Hill, my local newspaper. The Memphis Commercial Appeal did a special report on that battle last weekend. Quote, as Americans, this weekend memorialized the casualties of our war dead. A small band of U.S. soldiers of the 101st Airborne Division will recall in their collective memories that they were comrades in arms of a famous battle during the Vietnam War. The Battle of Hamburger Hill fought 50 years ago this month is seared into the memories of its participants. A struggle in the heavily contested Aishal Valley fought over a specific mountain known as Hill 937, denoted for its height in meters, approximately 3,000 feet. It was also called Dong Op Bia by the North Vietnamese, which translates into Mountain of the Crouching Beast, end quote. The Airborne Battalion of the 101st suffered 71 dead, 372 wounded, a casualty rate equal to more than 70% of the battalion. This report goes on to say that they spent their last breath in that hellish place, so remember them. Nothing I say in this report is intended as a criticism of those who fought and died there or in any other place. Our military is committed. I was one of them almost 50 years ago. And today I criticize only those who sent us and those who still send us, wasting one of the best battalions in the United States Army by sending it up that hill makes no sense to me. It seems like a monumental mistake or the height of insanity. But Hindsight's 2020, I guess. The problem lies with a foreign policy that puts people in positions of fighting wars that don't need to be fought and, frankly, should not even be an American concern. The United States had many opportunities to avoid what happened in Vietnam. Opportunities in 1945, in 1954, in 1958, and in 1963. The leadership could have chosen different paths, but instead... They chose the path with all the traps, and then in they went. I know that during my years as a Marine officer almost 50 years ago, I and other young officers with me did not spend a lot of time pondering these questions, at least not openly, open criticism of overall strategy by the officer corps and over the civilian leadership would have seemed disloyal and would never have happened and never have been tolerated. We just assumed that the people... We were supposed to fight, needed to be fought, so that's what we did. I've had many opportunities to think about it in the intervening years, however. I've tried to take advantage of those and to think. It's occurred to me that when we go abroad to kill foreigners, the people we are killing, who try as hard as they can to kill us, should be a direct threat to the United States, at least to some degree. The people we fought in Vietnam had zero ability to harm the United States in any way whatsoever. If our enemy is not a direct threat, 
and in fact is totally incapable of harming the United States, then what is the point? We fought them, and they killed about 60,000 of us. We killed God only knows how many of them, perhaps a couple of million, and yet they could not directly have harmed us if we had just remained as far away from there as possible. The other thing that has occurred to me over the years is that the United States has actual enemies, fully capable of helping to crack apart our entire civilization. Those enemies sitting in the halls of Congress and the U.S. Senate, it requires a strange leap of insanity to allow such things to happen, but nevertheless, there it is. Now fast forward a few years and you'll be able to see a very obvious pattern that indicates the same thing continues today. The month of May is also the 15th anniversary of the Battle of Fallujah, Iraq. It was another bloody, bitter struggle in the streets of Fallujah when United States Marines fought what were usually referred to as insurgents or militants, it seems to me we should not be afraid or embarrassed to call them what they obviously are, soldiers of Islam. The story of the battle was written for the Sunday New York Times last Sunday by a reporter named Elliot Ackerman. Mr. Ackerman was a Marine lieutenant and platoon leader in that battle. Mr. Ackerman wrote a great report of the battle step-by-step step as he told how he led his platoon through the many hazards of battle, through the fog of war, despite suffering many casualties. I think the Marines lost 31 dead in Fallujah for his efforts. He was awarded the Silver Star. He used the citation from that award to write his article. Lieutenant Ackerman may be a reporter for the New York Times today, but I respect him for what he did and for what he once was. The rest of the story is similar to Hamburger Hill in that they fought, they killed, they died. And for what? It's reasonably clear now that the story of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq was a lie. It's also clear that Iraq and Saddam Hussein had little, if anything, to do with the 9-11 attacks. Our best friends forever, however, the Saudis, had a lot to do with it, apparently, because 15 of the 19 9-11 hijackers were Saudis, yet no invasion of Saudi Arabia. On the contrary, the United States is currently providing logistical and special forces support for Saudi Arabia as it fights its proxy war against Iran on the soil of Yemen. Once again, I'm afraid the real enemies of our civilization live in and around Washington, D.C., rather than the streets of Fallujah or the porous backwater areas of Yemen. I just read where many of those same leaders in Washington are urging the president to keep troops in Syria indefinitely to pressure Iran and Russia. War is, after all, a young man's game. Young men pull the triggers, and they kick the doors, and they crawl down the rat holes, and young men fill the cemeteries. Old men, most of whom have never had anything to do with those things, send them off to do it. Two wars, Vietnam and Iraq slash Afghanistan, which have occupied much of the post-World War II history of the United States, have served to spread the cracks appearing in our civilization. Those cracks grow wider each day as we grow numb to the never-ending nature of today's wars. Many cracks in our civilization have appeared over the centuries, but we always at least attempted to repair them from time to time now. We intentionally spread them apart so they grow wider and less subject 
to repair the first cracks in the way of life we call Western civilization can be traced back to the French Revolution, which destroyed Roman Catholic France and left it a secular country, you might notice that the great works of art, the great works of literature and music occurred before the French Revolution. The revolution and the reign of Napoleon took the wind from the sails of Western civilization, but the foundations of it still held. President Trump now seems like a man with little or no philosophical underpinnings, i.e. there is nothing he believes in enough to go to the wall for it, such people tend to be influenced a great deal by those with whom they surround themselves right now. He is surrounded by John Bolton and Mike Pompeo, and those are two men who advocate war as the answer to every foreign policy problem. They want to keep U.S. troops in Syria indefinitely. They want to remain in Afghanistan indefinitely, as if 18 years is not indefinite. And, of course, they still want to continue assisting our proxy, the Saudis, in their war in Yemen. They want, they wait in great anticipation of the chance for a military encounter with Iran that could be used to justify an attack. But a Navy war in the tight confines of the Persian Gulf would be dangerous because of the thousands of sea-skimming supersonic missiles that Iran reportedly has. But still, they persist. These Middle East wars are gradually bringing the non-compliant countries of the world into full compliance with the demands of the empire. Those who persist in their refusal to comply have an unusual way of turning up dead. Look at Gaddafi in Libya, the empire demanding that he give up his Pan-African Union and his gold-backed currency, and he refused. So now he is dead, Saddam refused to bring Iraq into compliance. He was hanged. Mubarak in Egypt refused to support Israel and the Saudis, and he died in prison. Assad in Syria under relentless attack for many years with the compliance of Ecuador and its handing over of Julian Assange. Thanks to the new leadership's accepting $4.2 billion in payment, Venezuela is now about the last South or Latin American country not in full compliance. Even the Ortegas in Nicaragua seem to have accepted the offered bribes. Maduro is a hard-headed one in Venezuela, however, and the U.S. has imposed such draconian sanctions on Venezuela that its people are starving. I've heard that crime has diminished somewhat, though, since there is virtually nothing left worth stealing. My neighbor across the street is a doctor from Venezuela who travels back there from time to time to visit her mother. We talk often about conditions there, and she tells me that it's very desperate. People just want something to happen, she said, something that will relieve their misery. No one seems to know how much of the misery is caused by the stupid socialist policies and how much is caused by the stupid U.S. warfare. Economic warfare currently being waged against many countries in the world, including Venezuela, Iran, China, Russia, and North Korea, among others. I am one who thinks the U.S., a.k.a. the Trump administration, will win its trade war with China. Trump is a pretty hard-nosed businessman. He's not afraid to use whatever leverage he has. China buys about $150 billion worth of goods from the U.S. each year while the U.S. buys $600 billion from China. That's a trade deficit of $350 
billion dollars or $350 billion flowing out of the U.S. and into China each year. In other words, they absolutely must have the American marketplace, and that is leverage for the U.S. Finally, all this insanity creates great social upheaval and opens cracks in our civilization. No statesmen appear to repair the cracks and to educate their constituents on the Constitution and why it is more relevant today than ever before, but that is another report for another day. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.